Okay, so Pesach is a time. Um, it's not a time. It, it's, it is a time, but it's not a time. The word um, time, which was, does anyone know what it is in Hebrew? Zman. So the word zman in Hebrew means time, but it also has a different, few different other roots that we know that in Hebrew, um, when we look at the roots of a word in Hebrew, and there's a few different words with those roots, those three concepts are connected. Yes, we know this? We know that the roots of, I go on and on about the, the cute example, you know, the word for dog in Hebrew is kelev. Yeah, kelev. Ruff, ruff, right, kelev. And the roots of kelev is like kelev, which in Hebrew means like a heart. Oh, so dogs are like loyal and unconditionally loving. And the essence of a dog is to be just heart, all heart, like a heart. So you see that in the Hebrew, the root of the word reflects the essence of the concept. Yeah, in English, the table, it, we all know this is called a table, but the word table doesn't mean anything. We just call it table so we all know what we're talking about. So, so in Hebrew, we know that the roots of the word reflects the essence of a concept. So zman is the word for time. But there's also mizun. Mizun also means prepare in advance. All right, mizun, prepare in advance. Same letters rearranged. And also zimun. Anyone know the word zimun? Does that sound familiar? What is it? Zimun? Yeah, when they say before they bench after a meal, often you'll hear people say, okay, zimun. When there's three or more people, they invite, it's like a, a formal invitation to come and say the prayer after a meal. It's actually quite beautiful. So... You hear, see here, zman means time, mizun means prepare in advance, and zimun is an invitation, an invitation of some sort, right? So it's very interesting that a holiday, all the Jewish holidays, there are time in the year, there's a certain time. It's a certain prepared spiritual potential in advance that Hashem has prepared for us to help us in our growth, to actualize our potential. And zimun is an invitation to come and participate. It's time now, right? So that you see every holiday throughout the Jewish calendar is a special time, a special zman, a special mizun, which is a special preparation that we have to do and also a preparation of that energy that's going to come down into the world at that particular time. And it's a zimun, like to be invited to partake and align yourself with that energy at the time spiritually. Every holiday has its own theme. Rosh Hashanah, if you want to focus on new beginnings, so leading the whole month up to Rosh Hashanah, we prepare ourselves to be in the best place possible for that new beginning where we have the opportunity to transform our whole year. So if you understand what Rosh Hashanah is, it's literally mind-blowing what you can possibly achieve on that day if you're in the right state internally and you can't fake it, right? You have to build up for a month before. A lot of people focus the whole month of Elul, which is the month before Rosh Hashanah. Pesach, we know Passover is about freedom and becoming free from certain limiting patterns, and beliefs and spiritual, um, spiritual limitations in, the, in yourselves, which is very personal, by the way. So it's so interesting because we go to these Passover seders. Usually it's just a complete, as we say, balagan, right? You've got the second cousins, the third cousins, all these people, families, friends you might know, not know so well. Some are more care more about the seder. Some don't care about the seder. It's just like, when are we eating? You know, like there's all the kind of mundane day-to-day -day stuff that happens in the seder. But really, there's a spiritual, like electric voltage going on that has a potential for us to, to ride if we're aware of it. You don't have to be like in some spiritual zone, like doing something different. But to be able to be aware of it and include it in your awareness, include it in your consciousness, include it in your focus, 
as we know in Judaism, focus, intention, kavana, is everything. Everything. So on particularly powerful days of the year, like Passover and Rosh Hashanah, our focus and what we're focused on doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter who you're with, really. It matters where you're at. And you, it doesn't matter where you are, as long as you, you have a, a certain kavana. What's kavana? Kavana comes from kivun, the word kivun. Kivun, does anyone know what kivun means? Direction. Yeah, to aim, direction. So kivun, kavana, kavana means to, to direct your thoughts. So where do I want to direct my thoughts? What's my intention for, for the night? This is the work we're doing now, leading the week into Pesach, especially. Now you've cleaned all your stuff, you've got rid of your chametz, you're going through your house looking for anything that's obviously chametz, like pastas and breads and cakes and cookies, getting rid of it, throwing it out as mirroring a process of internal cleansing that we also should be doing. The external reflects the internal. Yeah. So becoming aware also of like what themes are coming up for me right now. There's a very powerful energy this month in Nissan. Nissan is a month of miracles. So the energy is here already. It's here and it's only going to build to the Pesach Seder, right? Pesach Seder is the pinnacle of the whole of Passover, especially the night, the night when you're, especially when you're eating the Afikoman, it says that that's the highest, one of the highest levels I heard from Rabbi Kellerman. Um, so the, but the work starts now. So what am I wanting to be freed from? What am I wanting to be um, working on in myself? What do I feel is a habit that keeps knee-jerk reaction? Like it's a knee-jerk thing I always do. It's a pattern I always do. It never leads me to a good place. I always go like, why am I here again? Right? Whether it's a type of disconnect. Anyone who knows my other classes, right? World of connection, disconnection. Is it a type of disconnect that you do with people? Is it a type of uh, making yourself small? Is it a type of self-doubt? Is it a type of um, aggressiveness? Is it a type of arrogance? You know, we all know about the whole idea of arrogance and chametz, which we're going to go into, and how arrogance takes you out of connection to reality, right? Any kind of arrogance. Arrogance is like an inflation where you're not connected to the reality of what's going on in yourself, right? You're either distorted or you're invested in not seeing the whole picture, don't want to see, as they say, don't be in denial, get it, Egypt, <laughs> don't be in Egypt, deny, denial, you got that? Oh, you saw it on my, I posted that, everyone loved it. Denial. Anyway, yeah, you got it, Sorry. yeah, denial, denial, <laughs> um, so don't be in Egypt, don't be in denial, but it's very deep, right, as well as being hilariously funny, but it's very deep, don't be in denial. Don't be in Egypt. When you're in denial, it's like you're trapped. That's it. You're trapped. You're done. Right? If you're in denial, you can't grow. You can't go anywhere. And many people don't want to acknowledge who they really are because they feel terrible because they're going to beat themselves up, which is not good. Right? Because if you beat yourself up, you, you're going to stay stuck. So I, I always remember Rabbi Tat, something he said was very, very powerful for me, which was, um, you know, ruthless self-honesty, the way he said, ruthless, ruthless self-honesty is your best friend. Yeah, ruthless self-honesty, not judgment, self-honesty. Yeah? I don't know if we know the difference sometimes. So we'll see the truth and then we'll go, oh, I can't believe I do that. Right? We see the truth in ourselves and like feel like such a bad person, right? No, don't go there. That's the Yetzirah. The Yetzirah, the negative inclination in us that wants us to be bad and wants us to be small and wants us to feel like we're going to give up and we're not really going to grow. That's the part that makes you feel bad because if you feel so bad, you say, what's the point? I'm going to have another glass of wine. I'm going to have another candy. I'm going to have another cake and I'm going to just like switch off and escape. In whichever way you escape, right? Watch movies for hours, whatever, right? YouTube, YouTube videos, middle of the night, terrible. Um, so, 
so it's about being ruthlessly self-honest and then just being able to be in the Seder and be able to receive. So what does it mean to be able to receive that energy in the Seder? Kabbalah, the word Kabbalah, which everyone loves, really is the word for receive. Yeah, Makabel means to receive, to accept. So what are you doing in the Seder in order for, to be able to actually receive the power of the energy of that night? I make myself into a Makabel. I make myself into a vessel, into a Kli. How do I do that? A vessel. I align my lower self with my higher self. What does that mean? It means that rather than fetching and whining about when I'm eating, which is the lower self, and it's legitimate, okay, it's late, it's long, but rather than focusing on that and giving that a voice, I try to align that lower self with my higher aspiration of like, what do I want to become? What do I want to get out of this Seder? What do I want to jump in my levels of growth? It says, the sages say on Pesach, you have opportunity to grow exponentially on the night of Passover for free. Basically, Hashem says, if you, want to, if you want to change X, Y, or Z, whatever it is spiritually, I will give it to you for free as a gift. You have to work on it afterwards, but I'll give it to you. I'll let you jump. And I know many people, myself included in different years, who have felt a complete lift in certain feelings, certain things happening. Some years, not at all. But things develop later, slowly. But it's not dramatic. It's not extreme. It's not, you know, nothing. You don't feel like this, like lightning coming down from the sky. But there's an ability to tap into the light and ride it to a new level if you're aware and you bring consciousness and awareness and focus and you're clear about something you want to change. Yeah, a certain pattern that's been holding you back in your relationships with friends, in your relationship with families, in your relationship with yourself, maybe, your relationship with God, your relationship with spiritual growth. Whatever it is, yeah, you chat back into that purity inside yourself that wants it. That's, that's the time. That's, that's the time that we're in now. Um, okay, one of the most important, um, does that make sense? As a precursor introduction to all the holidays, um, every, every holiday has a very deep theme. Shavuos also, by the way, is a very unknown holiday. People don't care about Shavuos so much. Do you, know what, you know what Shavuos is? Some people try to even know what Shavuos is, never heard of it, right? It's not even mentioned really. Everyone heard of Passover, everyone's heard of Hanukkah, everyone's heard of Purim, but like Shavuos? So that's when we receive the Torah. It's literally the night you know, we receive the Torah. So if you want to have a shift, a jump in your understanding and connection to learning Torah, Shavuos is the night for that. That's the theme of the holiday, right? Passover is the theme of freedom. Yeah, Rosh Hashanah is the theme of new beginnings. Hanukkah, finding dark light in the darkness is Hanukkah. Right? These are different big themes of every holiday that you can tap into. Um, there's a big, big, big spiritual principle that affects all of our lives all the time, and it's particularly potent with Passover. And it's, it's like the foundational backdrop of Passover. And actually, I just learned the other day, actually, from a class I was watching, that it happens during the Seder as well, which I did not know. The same pattern of the same spiritual principle happens during the Seder, um, which I didn't know. I'm not aware of it because it's on a spiritual level, but it's very, it, makes, it makes complete sense. So what, what are the spiritual principles? There's an idea of first light and second light. First light means that there's a, a spiritual law in the world that often you'll get a, a flash of inspiration about something, anything, right? Yourself, an idea, yeah, an idea, even a creative idea about anything, your work, right, whatever it is, you get a flash of inspiration and you kind of see the whole thing laid out for you. Like you suddenly get a sense of like what something could look like. Even I get it sometimes with programs, you know, running Jewish programs or Jewish ideas or like how it could look. Boom, you get an idea and then it's gone. And then you have to build it. That's the second light. 
is you building it to make it yourself, make it your own. This idea of first light and second light is a very, very um, uh, foundational principle in life where we see it play out very intensely and most clearly in romantic relationships where you get that first light, which is the honeymoon. Yeah, the honeymoon. Oh, my gosh, she looked at me. Oh, my God. Like, everything's effortless, and I get goosebumps and chills, and, like, all I can do is think about him, and I, it's amazing. And, like, everything's effortless. You remember this feeling, right? Everything's effortless, and it's, like, amazing. And you feel so whole, and you feel so complete, and it feels so, right? And then at some point, it just kind of fades away. And you're like, what happened? And if you don't know what's happening with first light, second light, you think we fell out of love. That's where people say we fell out of love because sometimes the honeymoon could take a year, two years, three years sometimes to, to dissipate. But slowly it's a flash of light. This is how it could be in wholeness and potential. And then slowly it fades away, one year, two year, three year, and you get to work on it, right? And that's where you get to build it and you become yours. You know, like you see a couple have been together for 30, 40, 50 years and the deep love they share together is no comparison to that superficial, romantic, honeymoony lover thing that you see younger couples have. Like, there's just no comparison in the level of love and depth, right? But the intensity of the young couple is probably more. But it's shallow. It's a free gift. So we get a free gift, and then we get the choice to work at it. Unfortunately, people make the tragic error of saying, that's, I wanted the free gift and I'm out if it's not there. So they keep reliving that cycle for the whole of their life, you know, without the deeper commitment. The deeper commitment allows for that building and for that growing and for making it yours. So let's go back to our story of Egypt because this is directly what happens. This was the first like, spiritual DNA of this process. Again, when we want to understand an idea, of a mechanism, a spiritual principle in the world, we look at where it first was mentioned in the Torah. That's the other way we can look at the essence of a concept. We look at the essence of a concept, we want to understand something deeply by looking at the Hebrew roots of the letters, like we said before, and where first is mentioned in the Torah. So now we go to the Egypt story and we see that we were, it was slaves in Egypt and everything was terrible. We were in Mitzrayim. Yeah, Mitzrayim means, you know, is, is, is Egypt, which is like a narrow, narrow, narrow place. Yeah, from Tsar, constricted. Under Paro. Paro means to untie, lay open. The goal of Paro was to like undo us, so to speak, so we had no morals and values. We just followed all our desires. Ironically, that's the biggest slavery. Ironically, it's the biggest slavery to feel free to do whatever you want, whenever you want, but you're not really free because really you have to follow your desire, right? It's an illusion of freedom to feel like I can do whatever I want when I want, but I'm not really free because I have to do what I feel like I want to do. If you feel like a desire and you feel like I want to, I want to, I want to um, satiate that desire, then you're not really free. You're a slave to that desire, you hear? You're a slave to the desire that's running you if you feel you have to meet the desire and, and like feed the desire. Whether it's for food, whether it's for <coughs> attention, whether it's for drink, whether it's for sex, whether it's whatever it's for, right? If you feel you have to have that fulfillment of that desire, then you're just a slave to that desire. That's what we were like in Egypt. We were, there, were no moral, there was no moral, higher moral consciousness guiding us. I mean, we were down to the last, last level. So we're in Egypt and we're slaves, and all of a sudden we become the chosen people. Hashem's deciding to take us out. We witness all these plagues, and we're sitting there just watching like a show. This plague and that blood and frogs and light, right? We're watching all these plagues as a show. 
We're literally doing nothing. We're just watching. First light. Oh my gosh, this is a direct revelation of God. This is unbelievable. We get it for free. The whole thing's for free. And then we get out and we, we get out through of Egypt. The whole thing's a miracle. The splitting of the sea happens. We walk through the sea and then we're dumped in the desert for 49 days. Thank you very much. 49 days? Are you kidding? After all that and now we're trudging through the desert and it's hard work and it's, it's really difficult. It's also a lot of mountains. Very hard. Right, right. A lot of mountains. They didn't have Nike. They didn't have Nike shoes then. Right. I know. How'd they even get there? Imagine the sponsorships they could have. Anyway, so they're, they're walking through the desert 49 days. They're slugging it out. And finally, 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 when they get to the end, they get to Mount Sinai and they are able and worthy of receiving the Torah and actually becoming then a Jewish nation, spiritual nation. So the whole process was for that point. Right, it was for that point of the of a spiritual becoming a spiritual nation. Why the whole hullabaloo? Like, why not? Thank you very much. Free us, and let us become the nation. So the spiritual principle that's in that was in play was this exact one. That was first light. Hashem then removes the light. You have to work at it yourself. Forty nine days, build yourself up, and then you receive. On Sinai, you receive the, the Torah because you're a worthy partner at that point. It's not a free gift. You worked for it. In our life, we, we finish Passover and then we do the 49 days of counting the Omer. There's a, there's a count of 49 days straight in the, after, after in pace, during Pesach, actually, up, till, uh, up to Shavuos, which is the, the day we receive the Torah. And we literally, there's a de, as a, every day as a day uh, to work on a different quality within ourselves for that day. So it's literally working on yourself for 49 days until you get to be worthy, so to speak, of receiving the Torah. There's an amazing app called Sphira, Sphira I think, Sphira's Omer, Sphira, um, which actually talks to you through every single day and gives you an ex exercises to work on. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's really cool. You've, you've seen it. And, um, hey, Jenny. Um, and um, where do we see this? Interestingly, it's also paralleled in the Zodiac. Does anyone used to follow the zodiac mm -hmm. horoscopes? So what? What would be hi? She was, but she's done. What's the um? What would be the animal that is represented by just following passively? Sheep. A sheep. What star sign is a sheep? No. Aries. 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 When's Aries? Oh, about now. Interestingly. So we're like we have sheep that are like going along in Aries, just interestingly being passive and following, just like we were in Egypt. Then we get dumped in the desert. What's the next star sign after Aries? Taurus. Oh, Taurus. What's the animal? The bull. What does a bull do? Kind of like stubborn, but not so not just stubborn. What are they? What are they famous for? Bull. What do they do? What do they use they bulls fight for? for that's a, well, that's in, well. That's when they treat them not so well. But what what do they naturally? <laughs> what 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 do they naturally? What do they do usually? How do they use bulls usually? For plowing or something? Yeah, they're work, they're, work, they're work bulls. Like, bulls are about work. What are we doing for 49 days in the desert the next month? Working on ourselves. Just, I'm just showing you how Torah filter, filtrates into everything. What's the next star sign? Gemini. Oh, Gemini. What's that represented by? Twins. Partnership, twins. Mm -hmm. That we worked on ourselves as like a, like a bull during the desert, worked on ourselves to get to the point where we could actually receive... Torah as a partner with Hashem, twins. Isn't this wild? 
you ever connect that back and realize that, again, again, all of the constellations and the horoscopes, which Jews are not bound by, but constellation and mazel, we call it mazel in the world, is a pattern that is legitimate. We're just not bound by it. So we can't treat it as the truth, as the only truth and the only limitation. It's not a limitation because a Jew doesn't have a ceiling on their, on, their, on their life. You can transform yourself to be whoever you want to be. But there is a pattern in the world that follows this pattern. I just thought this was really cool because I used to be so into star signs but like before I knew about Judaism. Right, but to see that the, the horoscope parallels the Passover story of like what happened in Egypt, right? Wild. Yeah. Are there more connections? In, in Passover or through the year? Yeah, so for example, Elul. Elul is the month before Rosh Hashanah, right? And Elul is the most powerful time of the whole year to change yourself. It says you get extra help to transform yourself in general and do, do tshuva. Tshuva means to like um, return to your essence and to like correct anything and new beginnings. And the idea that the star sign of Elul is, just, is usually around uh, September, just before Rosh Hashanah, Virgo. which is Virgo. And the Virgin is all about renewal, back to purity. Interesting. So the whole of the Jewish calendar sets the tone for all the star sign of Mazal. So interesting. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a, lot, there's a lot like that. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll, I can think of more, but they're the ones that jumped out because I was born in Elul. So I was like, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> like, I'm, you know, I'm like an addict for growth. Um, okay. So what happens in the Seder, just to tie this into the Seder, which is going to be on Friday night. Apparently, um, the sages say that in Kaddish, when we make Kaddish at the beginning, is the opening of the first light. The first light comes down in Kaddish, and then it constricts, it narrows as we go through the Haggadah about Egypt and how, how horrible it was and how terrible and how narrow we were, how focused we were and how restricted we were. And then it opens back up in the meal as we come out of that constriction again and then we take it out into the world is the next step, going like next year in Yerushalayim and we say, right? So that same pattern mirrors in the Seder of the energy. First light, it contracts and we have to go through the struggle and then back into the second light that we've earned through our struggle, and then back into the world. That pattern is a pattern also that says that the Torah says is going to happen before Mashiach, and that we're in that pattern now before the end of days, which is the first light drops down, and then it's removed, and then slowly, slowly it's going to come back a second light. Um, but I heard an interesting idea from Rav Sholem Kamenetsky, who said that at the end of days, everything is going to be perfected. Everything. There's no suffering. Everything's going to be shalom, Right? Even to the point where there's a Gomorrah that says that even the wolves and I think the lions, if I don't, know if, don't quote me on this, um, are going to live in harmony with each other, meaning they won't eat each other. Like certain animals will just live in harmony with each other. They won't, there's not going to be, it's going to be complete wholeness. And it's, he, he said that the, the, the first light has come into the world already, but now we're in the struggle, right? Which is the indicator just before Mashiach that it's coming. But we're in the struggle. So a lot of the groups that are isms, right, activisms and, um, you know, uh, all sorts of animal rights, all these sort of things. Of course, you're not allowed to hurt animals. It's against the Torah to hurt animals. But the idea is that like, animals are equal to humans, you know, that kind of thing. The, the drive and the yearning of people who feel so passionately about these causes is, is tied into a truth. There is truth in there. It's that first light. 
that by the end of days, everything is going to be shalom and equal. There are, there are going to be things, but we're not in a place as a vessel to be able to handle it yet. The world is not able to handle that yet. So it, it's kind of twists and is a bit distorted. It doesn't come out accurately. Right? For the whole world to go crazy about one lion being dead. Remember that lion? Sissel. Si- right, she even knows the name. Right, I forgot the name. But yes, yeah, Sissel. Poor Sissel. Right, the whole world went crazy about this lion. Now, I'm not saying it was right or wrong, that situation. I have no clue what really happened. But there's thousands and millions of kids dying in the world and there's no craziness about it, right? It's, uh, so it's equal, you know, like animals were given more than a human being, right? So something's a bit not right there. You know, it was about the, somehow the vulnerable, the underdog. The, but there's, there's, he said it's very fascinating that there's a, there's a drive that is connected to this first light concept, that there is something going to be the, about a, a, a connection um, of, of shalom and perfection, a perfection, basically. Um, we're just not there as a world to be able to handle the whole thing yet. It can't, it can't work yet. So he said, any ism, that you've, any ism that you know of, he said he could show you a proof for that. It was very interesting. I can't, but he, but he could. Okay. Is this making sense? Is this interesting or have you heard all this before? No? Okay, good. Um, so I just want to go to the idea of the Haggadah. Really, the two mitzvahs derisa from the Torah for Pesach are two things. Does anyone know what the two derisa mitzvahs are? The real mitzvahs from the Torah, not by the rabbis that were implemented later. There were two for Passover. Yeah? Eat matzah. Eat matzah. The Haggadah is a replacement for the derisa. To be happy about it. Korban Pesach. Korban Pesach. But we don't have the temple, so we don't do the Korban Pesach. So we read the Haggadah instead of the Korban Pesach, right? So the Haggadah is a derisa. Really, it really is a derisa means from the Torah, explicitly mentioned. Um, and it's interesting because Haggadah, does anyone know what Haggadah means? Hmm? To talk. But there's many words for talk. There's Vayomer, Vedaber, Sicha. There's lots of words in Hebrew for talk. So why Haggadah? So it's very interesting. There's two different types of talk of speech. There's an external speech and an internal speech. External speech is like, oh, could you please pass me that wine? Could you please clean the floor? Um, if you have like someone working for you, you could ask them, could you please send out the mailing list? Could you please help me clean the kids' room? Could you whatever? Yeah, it's like very external, kind of masculine-oriented, task-oriented speech. Yeah, that's external speech. There's an internal speech which is much more personal, much more internal much more about things that you yearn for that mean something for you that's more, more connected to your inner, right? That's more of an internal speech. You, you don't share that with everyone. You share that with a, a good friend or a mentor. But, yeah, it's internal. It's not for the world to see. That's, that's the closest part to you. There's also two types of listening. There's external listening and there's internal listening. I can listen as a servant also, just the superficial directives, or I can listen, if you watch a child listen to a parent, they're not just absorbing the words of instruction. They're absorbing the whole parent. Yeah? Child is absorbing, listening like a child, absorbing everything about that parent. You've seen this, right? And they start taking on the character traits, and it's like freaky because you see it's just, they're doing that just like the mum. Or you see the little kid walking around the, on the, pretending on the phone. Just like the mom, like, yeah, yeah, five minutes. You know, like I've seen this, you know, with, with, with little kids. They're absorbing everything about the parent. That's like listening as a child, as a Ben. Yeah, as a child, as a son. 
So on Pesach, we have to read the Haggadah. Haggadah is a type of speech that comes from the word Gidim, or Gad. Yeah, Gad, or, and, and another word from Gad means is Gidim. The word Gidim literally is your sinews and your veins inside your body, your kishkas. Yeah? So the word literally that's the same root as Haggadah is your kishkas. Right? Kishkas is like your guts, your inner guts, your inner, inner being. Right? You're, literally your sinews and your veins, and, right? So you see, it's okay, Alana's going, everyone, it's okay, right? <laughs> it's good to see you. Have a very, very hug, Kasha Vesameya. And may you be liberated in all ways that you would like to be. Amen. We'll speak. Okay, so. so you see the Haggadah is about some sort of communication of my kishkas. What do I really want? What's important to me? Who do I want to become? Have an image of like, who, what would you look like if you could actualize your potential right now with who you are right now? Not some unrealistic thing, but like what does it look like for you to want to be, like for you to become your best self right now? If you were acting in the ways that you feel you could really act on all levels, what would it look like? Have a picture, right? That's, that's coming from your kishkas. That's coming from inside. So we're meant to speak the, that way the whole night of the, of, the, of the Seder. As far as listening, I just don't want to miss out anything. Let me just have a quick look. We're supposed to be listening on Pesach night like a child, like a Ben, in an internal way also. We're not, literally going from servants, being slaves in Egypt, Eved, Evadim, to being children of God. The nation was formed. So we're literally shifting from our own external into a deeper internal place. That's what's open to us on Passover, on the Seder, specifically on the Seder, but the whole week has a huge light to it. Yeah, On the Passover night, we're literally shifting from our own being trapped and our own externality where we relate to ourselves in the world in an external way, superficially, to a deeper connection in ourselves of being relating to ourselves in a deeper way, seeing the depth of who we are, seeing the depth of others. So we have that, that channel can open back up again on Passover, right? As we actually read the, as you're reading the words that it's being spoken to you, that you were part of this nation that was freed and were created to be one that's very holy and very spiritual and to serve God in a holy way, to be your best self, to be holy yourself, to actualize your own potential. Yeah, that's the potential. And that, that's the, that night is the night that we actually can access that potential in ourselves much more easily. I, Rosh Hashanah probably also, but like that's the night. This is tonight. I mean, that, that's the night. Um, okay. Any questions, comments? No? Does it make sense? Yeah? Um, there's, one, there's one other theme I wanted to talk about, and then we're going to finish early because we're having a farewell for Elisa. Elisa's leaving tonight. It's her last night at Salt. So we're gonna, we have a cake in the fridge and some Moscato, so we'll have a little... Can we, why? Not yet. It's Not yet. It's a surprise, but just, is that okay with you guys? Okay. I'm just, okay. She's done so much. Huh? She's going to Israel for four, four or five months with nowhere to learn, and they're coming back. Don't worry, but it's going to be a while. So that she's going to follow, follow a dream. Anyway, so we've got her in there training her, her Miri, who's going to take over. Anyway. Um, okay, so 
the last theme that I wanted to want to talk about, who, who was there on the Shabbat dinner? You guys were? Well, I, I brought this up a little bit. The idea that why do we have to leave so fast? Why did we need to leave Egypt so fast? So the big famous commentary is that we were going to sink into the 50th level of impurity. We were on the 49th level of impurity as a nation. We were totally identified as Egyptians. We couldn't care less, really. We didn't really want to leave. And it says if we didn't leave at that second, we were going to, we were going to just basically disappear. We are like going to be to the point of no return. But this doesn't make sense because we had just witnessed open miracles and direct revelation of God in all the plagues. Right? It doesn't make sense. Just as we were about to leave Egypt, we'd seen all, nearly all, all 10 plagues. Crazy things happen. How could we possibly have been at the 49th level of Tumor? Right? Of impurity. doesn't make sense. We, we weren't, that challenge was over. We weren't there anymore. Right? So it can't be so simple. So why do we need to leave so quickly? So... There's an idea that we can live in the physical dimension of time and space with all our physical things and either be kind of driven and defined by them or live amongst it, appreciate it, but transcend it, not live anchored in the physical. Right? Does this make sense? I don't, tell me if I get too abstract. Right? We can live in the physical realm of time and space and be governed by it and live with it as a governing entity of us, or we can live in time and space, but it doesn't govern us at all. It's something higher governs us. Right? We're not anchored in the physical. We appreciate it when it's there. If it's not, it's okay. Like, you're not defined by it. So spirituality is contradicted by an unnecessary expansion of this time and space. Spirituality is transcended. It's above time and space. Something holier, something higher, something more elevated. It doesn't exist just in the physical realm. It's something beyond, right? Beyond time and space. So sometimes in order to transcend the physical, we have to minimize the contact a little bit between the physical and us so that we can actually transcend it, yeah? If I just indulge in the physical all the time, it's very hard to transcend. If I keep giving it power and giving it energy and like invest hours in online shopping and like online food and get cookbooks and absorb in all the physical all the time, it's very hard to like start thinking above that, right? You've had days like that where you've been steeped in that physical, you've been on the computer all day, you've been watching movies, like it feels disgusting after a point, like, ugh, like get me out of here. Right? It's, why? Because it's not like you know, shouldn't enjoy anything, but just that's not what we're, for, what we're here for. We're not here for that. So on some level, you feel a wasted potential in yourself. Right? It's a wasted potential. It feels disgusting, actually. Because like, you're like gross. And you get, I need a shower or something. The shower doesn't wash it off because it's not physical. It's a spiritual ugh. Yeah? So the Maharal says that if one moves fast, minimizing the time taken for action, you can overcome the, the, the stifling effect of the time and space. Moving fast, we call it zrizus or alacrity. Moving fast to do something like on a higher level, like a mitzvah, any mitzvah, any good deed, anything, you're doing something for someone, it, it exists on a higher plane. The yearning, the want to do something for someone else, it's not bound in the physical. So if you do it quickly, it, it shoots you out of the physical. This makes sense? It's a bit abstract. So all zealous action elevates physical dimensions to a spiritual level. And laziness, the opposite, laziness and the slowing down of action is, expands the physical dimensions to, to a point to make us part of those dimensions, right? So sluggishness is the opposite of spirituality. Procrastination, how hard is it to do something? You keep procrastinating and procrastinating. 
So laziness is incompatible with spiritual growth. The more you sloth, the, more, the harder it is. You know, but I found the more I work out, the more energy I have. It's so weird. You would think cause and effect, if it's just in the physical, it doesn't work that way. So you see something already working there. The more I work out, the more exhausted I should be, but the more energy I have, right? So on a physical level, if you want something done, give it to a busy person. You've heard that phrase? It's totally true. It's like they're superhuman. The more you give them, the more they get done. There's, there's transcended the typical time it would take for someone to do it, right? So, so you see there's something else going to work here. So if we return to the night in Egypt, the problem with more time in Egypt would not have been the contamination effects of Egyptian impurity. The problem with more time in Egypt was the time itself. Was spending more time, slowing down, being bound by the physical, right? Why? The event had to occur in the blink of an eye because that was necessary for the event to remain spiritual. The whole of the Jewish nation was being born, right? The whole, this, the whole point of this was for us to be born as a Jewish nation and the Jewish nation was spiritual. If we had left slowly, we would have been a very natural people, bound by nature, bound by the physical, bound by time and space. So if we just strolled out of Egypt in a relaxed fashion... It's like the regular laws of time and space were defining us. We had to zoom out of there to start a spiritual nation on a spiritual level, in a spiritual fashion, which is Jesus, quickly, to do a mitzvah. Because there's another idea also that everything goes after the beginning. Yeah, everything goes after the beginning. How something starts. Hey! <laughs> so good to see you. How everything starts is how a lot of things continue. You know, there's a very deep idea about first impressions. That no matter what first impression someone made, like so someone's made a positive first impression, they could mess up a number of times. doesn't matter. The first impression still sits with you in your heart that, like, that you like them. Like they're, they're, and the opposite happened. If someone really kind of annoyed you or ticked you off or did something rude, no matter how many nice things they do later, you're still just like, I don't know why. Just, they just bug me. Like it's the first impression goes in deep. It creates a groove for, for the rest. So everything goes after the beginning. Obviously, God knew this. And so we had to start as a spiritual nation in the blink of an eye to start in a spiritual fashion. So the moment of formation occupied the absolute minimum time. And since then, we've lived on the edge of the physical universe at that edge, which interfaces with the transcendent, with the divine. Like that's where we've lived as Jews, right? Makes no sense that we're alive. It makes no sense that we've survived. It makes no sense that all the Gaza Hamas tunnels keep collapsing. Like it makes no sense that Iron Dome stopped all the things. Like, right? Everything is like on that, that, that borderline of transcendent. Yeah? And you say only in Israel. It's not only, it's, it's only because of God and because we're a spiritual nation, right? So the terrible danger of more time in Egypt would have been the time itself. That's the impurity which is meant here, the impurity of a nation destined for spirituality becoming merely physical and merely natural, which we could have become. That's what true assimilation means, that I assimilate away from my purpose into the, the host culture and I've lost who I am. Yeah. So it makes perfect sense that we are a spiritual people and that we were only sustained by food, which is just the sum of its ingredients, by matzah. Just flour and water. Just what we needed. It was just the bare minimum. Yeah, we didn't sit around waiting for the dough to rise. Oh, I like mine fluffy, right? <laughs> I'll get to you in a minute. Like, you know, like, I'll, like the sea's always going to be there. Let me just like wait for a minute like while I get my fluffy khala, right? So you see that a second's delay 
transform something from the bare minimum, which can be very spiritual, to being completely absorbed in the physical. I wrote out this email for, from anyone who was at the Mormon Manhattan last week about the idea of matzah and chametz, the words matzah and the words chametz. It's exactly the same letters, matzah, mem tzadik, right? And chametz, mem tzadik at the end, metz. The only difference, the two words completely are a hey, yeah? Matzah is hey is at the end of matzah. And chametz, ch, the ch at the beginning of chametz. And if you look at a hey and a ches, it's literally the same, except the hey is like a little dash, and then it's got a thing like this, and the ches is just all the way around, right? So the only difference between a hey and a ches is the tiny, tiny little bit of time that the hay needs to go up to make the ches. Can I draw it? It's crazy when you see this reflected, this exact concept we just spent half an hour talking about in the Hebrew letters. This is the depth of Torah. It's awesome. Uh, um, what? Oh, wait. Oh, wait. What, have I, what am I doing? Chametz. Are you writing in... Uh... In the regular letters. Regular letters. One second. I'm going to do Hametz better. I know. But says the Hebrew speaker. Yeah. It's easier to watch. Oh, me neither. Don't worry. Matzah. Hametz. Matzah is the top. Can you see that? Yes. Hametz down the bottom. So if you look at the hay, there's a hay there and there's a gap. That's the hay. Here, here is the chametz. It goes all the way around. The only difference, this mem and sadik is the same as this mem and sadik, the same letters. So the only difference between matzah and chametz is the time it would take for that hay to just rise up to form a ches, which looks like that. Yes? So it's unbelievable to think that it's just that tiny little bit of time completely transforms the difference between a matzah and a chametz. Um, one of the ways that we end up, I guess, living from our own chametz is all the ways that we remove ourselves or inflate ourselves. Time is about inflation. It's about sluggishness. It's about um, ego. It's about um, arrogance, procrastination. These are all very chametzy behaviors, if you can say that, Right? So the whole idea of cleaning for Pesach is not just about getting rid of the physical chametz. The physical chametz is a reflection on me looking inside for these types of behaviors. Where, how do they express in my own life? Where do I show my arrogance? Where do I not be connected to, <coughs> to the truth of the matter? Where am I committed to something just out of ego versus out of truth? Right? Where am I trying to fight a battle that's just for my own ego? Where am I um, taking myself out of reality? Yeah, matzah is just plain and simple and real and humble. That's what matzah is. No, no fanciness, no bones about it. Like just matzah. Hi, I'm matzah, right? It's just like, I'm matzah. There's no image to matzah. It's like boring. There's no image, but it sustains and it drives us. It's actually really yummy if you make it the right way, right? And, but it's not, it's not fancy, but it's yum, Right? When you meet someone who doesn't have chametz, it feels the same. They're so real. They're so normal. They're so warm. You feel like you can just connect with them. But you see their greatness. But they're like just real and humble. And they're not weak. They're not passive. They're not insecure. 
but they're not over the top. They're, have you met people like this? Yeah? It's like this. They don't have this inflation. And that's really what we're going for on Pesach is to be able to find those parts of ourselves that we want to take out and we want to purify, we want to rid ourselves of. Again, you can only do that if you have ruthless self-honesty. If you don't even see it, so forget it. You're in, you're in where? Mishraim. Which river? Denial. No. <laughs> denial. Oh. Hello. Um, yeah, you're in denial. You're not connected. <laughs> She's going to use that joke now at the Seder, right? You're going to use that? She's, uh, you can all use that, right? Everyone will find that funny. So you're in denial about some aspect of yourself, yeah? Some aspect of yourself. You don't want to see it, right? But then you're stuck. You're stuck in Mitzrayim. That's where you're stuck. You're stuck limited. But that's okay because it's next year's Pesach also. It's not like a one-off chance, right? And you have all times through the year to work on it. But the Passover night is a very, very powerful night. When you're eating the matzah, don't look around and think like, how, oh my gosh, have I finished my, my, my measurement? And like, don't, start, close your eyes when you're eating the matzah and focus on who you want to become. If you only do that, do that. Especially the afikomen at, at halachic midnight. Halachic midnight at the afikomen, when you're eating that last, last, last bite of matzah is the most powerful night of the whole Seder. And by then everyone's over it and they're falling asleep and they, they're all they've left. And like, you miss a powerful moment. You know, like that's the moment or one of the moments. But just close your eyes Focus on what would it look like. You know, the, the whole idea of Passover is faith and unity and love and actualizing your potential. And if you can have a concept and a vision of what you want that to be, include everyone around you, like all the even annoying people. Like include, include them. Just say, I just want to, I'm unified with everyone here. I want to serve you in love. I want to be my best self. I want to be healthy. All right. Have whatever it is, goal, whatever goals you want, have that as you're eating the matzah and ask Hashem, please give this to me. Try to mouth the words at some point about what you want, not just in your head. Yeah, not when you're eating the matzah because that's dangerous. But um, yeah, but, but the, the eating of the matzah is a very powerful time. It's a very powerful time. So with that, we should have a Chag Kasha Vesameach, they say, Chag Sameach, Happy Passover. We should be liberated from all things that we would like to be liberated from Amen. and um, and to be able to come out the other side and feel a little bit more whole. I mean, we have to work at it, though. It's not the free gift. The free gift is only the beginning, right? But it's the free gift. And, um, yeah, I look forward just to hearing your experiences. Any, any questions? Yes. I mean, yes. Question. Um, so, like... 